Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, January 13th, 2019, and this is show number 714. Well, Steve and I are fresh back from CES, and we have tons of great material from the show. As always, we don't go for the high wow stuff like giant 4 or 8K TVs and automated cars. We tend to go for the small, more practical devices and ideas that we think will interest the NoSilla castaways. Sometimes we do stuff that's just weird because that's just fun. It's actually going to be hard to decide the order in which we let the content out because there are so many great interviews this year. We uh, we did them all in an Airtable database, and I rated them A, B, and C, and there were only a couple of Cs and just a few more Bs, but everything else was A's. So uh, the content's really, really good this year. Now, we get most of our content from the small press events that start long before the actual conference starts. We rolled into Las Vegas on Sunday, and we had most of our interviews done by Tuesday when the show officially started. The giant exhibit halls are pretty overwhelming, but if you try to focus on a few smaller categories, you can survive them. For example, the North Hall of the Convention Center is mostly cars and car audio and these giant crazy booths. But there's a funny story about the North Hall. At one of the press events, we interviewed a guy from a company called Furion. You'll hear that later, I don't know, in a few weeks. They had an interesting electric cooler, like, you know, little power banks and stuff that the, you could pull out, it had chi charging on top, and of course, it chilled your drinks. But while, while we were chatting with the guy, they had this display showing a giant 65-foot yacht plowing through waves in the ocean. I mentioned that it was distracting and hard to focus on this cooler because this boat was going back and forth, back and forth across the screen. And he said, oh, yeah, we're bringing that to the convention center. Like, wait, wait, excuse me, what? He said this would be the second largest booth in the entire convention center, only smaller than Honda. Well, we had to go to the North Hall to see if he's telling the truth. And he was. I cannot even imagine the logistics involved in getting a 65-foot yacht into a convention hall. I put a picture of it in the show notes so you can see for yourselves. The, the other funny thing is last year they brought this giant uh, mobile home that had a, uh, I think it had a helipad on top and had a jacuzzi in it. We walked all through it last year. Well, it turns out that's also in the convention center, but you can't see it because it's behind the yacht. I don't know why they bothered to bring it because you can't see it at all. Well, anyway, as always, the people we get to hang out with at CAS make it really fun for us. As we usually do, we hung out with Chuck Joyner and Dave Hamilton quite a bit. But what made it even more fun is that Chuck brought along Nosilicastway Norbert Frassa, and he brought him to help him manage his video recordings. Norbert is awesome sauce. Now, we'd met him before at MaxDoc. We actually sat with him most of the time this last year, but we got to know him much, much better on this trip. He's got a wicked sense of humor, which is pretty much all it takes for me to adore someone. Well, we also got to have breakfast with Nocella Castaway Sandy Foster again, and we dragged along uh, Norbert so that the two of them could meet. Now, she's the one you'll remember who made the awesome apple pod feet pillow for me. She's hilarious, and the four of us had great fun geeking out. I even got them to record a quick little snippet video for Bart, and I'm going to pay the, play the audio for you right now. Remember, stay patched and stay secure. Isn't that great? When I uh, we sent the little video over to Bart and he told me later on talking, he said, if I could have found an emoji with a bigger grin on it, I would have used it. But that was the biggest grin I could find what he sent back. So he got a kick out of that. Well, we also got to hang out with Nosilla Castaway Joe LaGreca, which is always fun. 
Now, he really wanted a beer after driving six hours from the San Diego area to Las Vegas when he met us. I'm not sure how his karma caused it, but immediately after he got there, we did an interview at the Blue Booth to see their new Blue Ember XLR microphone, which you'll hear about later. And after we were done, the woman said, I was interviewing said, hey, want a beer? I don't understand how Joe made that happen, but we ended up having beers in the uh, Blue Booth. Joe's a really interesting geek who challenges my thinking, which is the best kind of friend. Now, during the show, we made a point of going to the Pi Technologies booth because Nocilicastway Shai Yamini was working the booth this year. They have some really cool toys for kids, which you'll hear about at a later date. And I don't want to spoil it by telling you about it. You're going to have to wait for the interview. Now, we did have one odd encounter. At one of the press events, I was approached by a gentleman named Nicolas Charbonnier, I think that's how you pronounce it, from Switzerland. He introduced himself by telling us that he was a fan of the podcast. Well, the odd part was, immediately after saying that, he started telling us about how Apple was going down the toilet and how happy he was about that. At that point, I was like, are you sure you listen to my shows? You know, why you just don't sound like a Nocilla castaway? Now, you know, not that we can't have contrary opinions, of course. See previous statement about how awesome Joe is and how he uh, challenges my thinking. But his vehemence on the subject really made me wonder why he would enjoy any of my content. Now, he did go on to tell us the reason he wanted Apple to fade away. He said he's tired of all the other companies just following Apple, and he hopes that as Apple loses dominance, maybe these other companies will start innovating again. I can't actually argue with that logic, but I still wonder whether he actually listens to the shows. So, Nicholas, if you're out there listening, shoot me a note so I know you're actually out there listening. Well, in Chit Chat Across the Pond this week, we are finally back to our Programming by Stealth episode. In this installment, Bart teaches us how to create navigation bars in Bootstrap. We learn how to make them collapse and expand to different device screen sizes and how to style them to look nice. We learned how to add branding and how Bootstraps makes it do all kinds of logical things. It was an extraordinarily easy lesson because Bootstrap makes it that easy. You can find this episode in the Chit Chat Across the Pond feed or the Programming by Stealth feed in your podcatcher of choice. And of course, you can play the episode right at podfeed.com, which has a link over to Bart's amazing written tutorial show notes. Well, let's dig in and listen to the first interview from CES from one of my favorite companies. You guys know I'm a big old fan of the WiseCam. In fact, I've sprinkled them all over my house. And there's a gentleman at Wise who actually has a post-it note on his computer because of one question I keep nagging him about. And I managed to find him here at CES. His name is Matt Stoneking. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm great. Yeah, he says, yeah, you're famous with us. (laughs) Well, I like to bother people, but that's fun. So uh, I'm addicted to Wisecams, as many people are. I think once you get one, you seem to need more of them. It's a, it is an addiction. So I've, I own this Wisecam. I own the Wisecam pan. I got the Wisecam black that was in special production for a little while. That was very exciting. Yes. But now you guys have something new called Max Drive. What is this? Uh, for starters, no relation to my name. Oh, okay. uh, but uh, this is what going. What kind to- of narcissist are you? You named it after yourself? Well, you know, they asked me what I wanted to call it. I was- um, but uh, this is going to be act as uh, a cloud storage device uh, to back up the Wise cameras uh, to get your uh, SD card footage backed up so that you can keep more of it for longer. Okay, uh, so you would still use the SD cards in the uh, in the Wise cams to do the local storage. You'll be able to do do both. Oh, okay. So you can have the SD card and back up the short term stuff, and then treat this as a more concealed uh, uh, extra backup to have 
more storage and that way if something happens to the camera you also still have a copy of the data okay that'll be uh, even more important as uh, we finally talk to you guys in an outdoor cam i understand that's the number one most requested item yes and it is coming i've definitely seen work on it yes oh fantastic yes. fantastic uh, our uh, ceo put out an email at the beginning of the year uh, saying that it should be out by the end of the year i gotta tell you i love your ceo's emails yes. when when the wise camp 2 was was like a smidge late chipping we got all of these little updates saying, okay, well, take a look at the sensor. This is what we weren't real happy with. And it was all nerdy and everything. I love those emails. Those things are great. Yeah, he definitely believes in transparency. Uh, So communicating with you guys, because everybody likes to know what's going on. Yeah, right. You got information, you don't worry. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about uh, what makes this cool. Uh, Well, for starters, you can use between uh, one terabyte to a 12 terabyte drive uh, to uh, back up as much footage as you want from as many cameras as you want. So I've tested up to 10 stably on my network without any issue, uh, but I'll be doing more stress testing before we get to launch to, yeah, to try and give a more solid number on that. So for the people just listening, not being able to see this, basically it's a... uh it's a round box that's got a, it essentially looks like a drive toaster. It's got a little slot in here. You can put in a full-size drive or an SD, uh, I'm sorry, an SSD, yes. right? So uh, how, what's the connectivity? What do you, how do you hook this up? Uh, it'll connect through Ethernet. Uh, so you'll have to hard line it directly to the router. Uh, but then from there, uh, the cameras just have to be on the same network, and it can back up uh, wirelessly to them, so, or to the drive. So is there software running on the Max Drive that goes out and is sucking it down constantly? Yes, exactly. Uh, and it will be through your network, so it won't consume data. So it wouldn't be like sending it to a cloud service uh, where you're going to keep uh, piling up more and more data as you go on or have more cameras. So as, as somebody breaks into my house and they spend 20 minutes snatching all of the wise cams I've sprinkled all over the house, they run out of the house with it my jewels. I've got that backed up anyway. Exactly. Okay. All right, so um, what, is the, uh, what is the ship date you're looking for on this? Uh, we're hoping for in Q1 or Q2, but we still have some uh, development decisions we need to make on it. Uh, we're still doing some software decisions as well in terms of how they'll interact. Uh, so I don't have a solid launch date yet. But, okay, but first half of the year, yeah. looking, looking good. Yes. Uh, what operating system is that running? Uh, this is actually running Linux. Okay. Good, good, good. And then uh, all the all the on Wi-Fi. Do you guys have a price point for that? Uh, right now, we don't have a solid price point, but it'll be under a hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! Seriously. Well, that is what's gotten you guys into everybody's home. You start at twenty bucks, and you're like, "Well, I must need more." And pretty soon, I've spent three hundred dollars with you guys. Not not that many, but I bought a lot of them. Yeah, definitely. And going back to our CEO again, uh, UN definitely likes to. Like our whole company motto is to give technology at the lowest price because we don't need to make a ton of money off of the product. We just want people to have it and enjoy it. Okay, that sounds like a great business plan to me because I am loving WiseCam. That's W-Y-Z-E dot com, right? Yep, exactly. All right, go out, buy a bunch of them. I'll give you my Amazon affiliate link for them. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you can tell I had a lot of fun talking to Max. He was such a great guy, and I was really excited that we got to spend so much time talking to him. All right, let's uh, flip over and do an accessibility interview from CES. Well, it's time to talk accessibility. You know, we love that on the No Silicast. And we're at the American Printing House right now, and I'm with Craig Medor and Dave Wilkinson of the American Printing House. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well. 
All right, hot dogs. Well, let's start out. What are you going to show us here first, Greg? Well, probably the two big items we're showing this year. Uh, one is a partner project. This is called the Canute. It's from Bristol Braille, which they're actually out of Wales. And this is the first multi-line Braille display ever invented. And okay, so for those who are not blind and haven't used a Braille display, the largest displays before were 40 cells. 40 is cells. that right? So 40 could, cells is 40, 40 characters. 40 characters, but you were spreading your arms way out. Yes. Oh, okay. So... So, so it seems for for our world, this is revolutionary in a sense. But it's it's kind of a, a sad commentary too that this is the the first time a Braille user would have access to almost the full page of Braille. So what what we're looking at here looks like it's one, two, three, four. Looks like eight or nine, nine eight rows, or nine lines. eight or nine, nine lines of a bunch of little nine. dots coming up and going down, showing the the alphabet across there. Right. Yes. This is actually a part. A, a, this is part of a book. Uh, that we loaded in here on a, on a USB drive. I'm reading upside down and I'm doing it very badly. Uh, this is oh, that's oriented for us. Yeah, this is already oriented for you. This is called the uh, the Nordic. Oh, this is all about the uh, the Nordic coast. So it's all about the the coast. It's an article about the coast of Norway. And then okay, so I'm that's really let's let's be blind and read upside down. Let's go for the. <laughs> can you do a handstand while you do it there, Dave? I absolutely could. Uh, and then if I hit this little the forward button here, now I'm going to the next screen. And what makes this really it really incredible is Braille technology has been super expensive. I've got a little note taking device over my shoulder here that's about a three thousand dollar device that has twenty cells of Braille, which looks cute and it's wonderful and it's small, but it's ridiculously expensive. This guy, we're looking at a price tag of under two thousand dollars for nine lines of Braille, forty cells across, which is just insane. Now, my understanding was always that the difficulty in making these less expensive was the the accuracy required to pop those little cells up and down. But this has each each cell appears to have like two, I don't know, two rotating pieces that are coming up and That's down. Right. Is that right? That's right. It's got little wheels that are. Zo- I'm sorry, I just wrapped. The- it's got two little wheels that are zooming around and, and bringing the dots up on each side of the cell. So you've got. So it doesn't have to be accurate with each pin. That's correct. That's it, correct. It's still accurate. But it's a different right. technology. But, it doesn't, it doesn't, but what she's saying is you don't have to have all the little right. pins pop up. Right. Yeah. So the machining and, and mechanism isn't as complicated because you're bringing this wheel around. That's right. The wow. algorithm that goes behind the math is intense to make sure you have accurate Braille, which is beyond my my scope of intelligence. But the so, folks in Bristol have done a great job. Can we turn the page again? And I'm going to hold the mic ju- not to you but to the page so we can hear it. You'll notice that it's refreshing from the top down, so that even though the refresh rate is an instant, meaning that the page, the pen's coming up, you can start reading at the top, and then it keeps ahead of you as you're going towards the bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that noise you heard was the little rotating things flipping into place, line by line by line. Well, that's pretty terrific. All right, what's the next thing we're going to take a look at, Greg? next thing we're going to talk about is, and th- we actually showed this last year, but we've made several improvements. This is the Graffiti. It's a product, uh, partner product with uh, Orbit Research. This is the world's first multi-level tactile tablet. Again, seems amazing in this day and age, 2018, that this has never been done before. So let me describe to, to the audience what we're looking at is it's a grid of, of dots, and they're at, they're at differing heights. They look like they're kind of all at the same this height here. Is a, this is a, yeah, this is a, a, a low-grade image, and they are all at the same height. I think this is one of Stevie's album covers. Uh, CES. Okay, so that's the CES logo. Sorry. So maybe we could switch to another one. We can see it go. We get a different filter here. All right. So he's pushing a button here. The, all the oh, now we're going. getting now we're getting cool. Look at so now I've got different heights that are representing the darkness and the light and the 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 higher the dot, 
the, the, the darker the color for the CES oh, logo. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, so I can see the, the uh, background of the of the logo, not just the letters. That's exactly right. And so I can... Yeah, let's yes. make sure all the sighted people see That's what the right. blind guy's yeah. looking at, right? <laughs> we got to have accessibility for the sighted people. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, actually, I think it's the other way around, Dave. The 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 high stuff might be the light. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't. Our we'll have to there. look at our badge. There we go. Actually, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's the contrast. It's the contrast you're looking at. Exactly. So we're looking at. You said this is more like a 16-bit image. It's more of a 16-bit image, which is uh, again ha- has not been done before. So it's we would. The, the nice thing about this is this is foundational in the sense is we're hoping a, a lot of what APH does is we introduce technology. Brilliance APH is the American Printing American House. Printing House for the Blind. We introduce these ideas with the hope that this is going to inspire somebody, some company somewhere to say, I can do it better, faster, cheaper, and take this idea and technology to the next level. Because we're okay. a nonprofit. So this is like a reference design kind this of thing. Is a, this is a foundation. This will be a, a foundational piece that hopefully 10 years from now, 15 years from now, everyone will say this was this was a seminal piece of of uh, technology that, that got the next thing that going. got us moving to the next level. Yes. Now, I asked you beforehand before we started recording, what was the one thing you'd like people to take away from what they hear today? Can you repeat what you said? Yeah, I, I think it's this idea of, of accessibility needs to be built in from the front end, and so much of what we do, and it's part of what we've done for 160 years, is fixing that that piece. It's like. Whether it be uh, print, moving print to Braille, or whether it be creating educational products that are available to a student who is blind or visually impaired, or technology is creating fixes for the industry because they didn't think about intelligent design or universal design on the front end. It seems like that that's starting to shift. It is um, shifting some, and you know that it. Well, we're very excited by all the work that the big major companies are doing right now, where they're really putting a lot of attention to accessibility. Um, the one thing we would continue to encourage them is to broaden their idea base and and really reach out to the experts, reach out to people who are blind and visually impaired, and really create a strong, robust, not just testing, because they do a good job with testing, but a strong, robust field of designers who are blind or visually impaired, so you're getting it right from the beginning. Well, it's sort of like uh, having a diverse workforce in in race, creed, culture, and accessibility as well, right? Because you can't really understand innately what the world is like unless you are blind, right? Absolutely. And and the one thing I would add to what Craig says is that uh, there's a myth out there that, that, that Braille is dead or dying. And that Braille, Braille is not dead or dying. With something like the graffiti, I can take an image from my cell phone and instantly have it put on to to, to raise line drawings so that I can see what I'm looking at. Uh, the, the, the possibilities with Braille are astounding. And so as we're moving forward, uh, it's sort of my, my soapbox would be that audio is not, is, is not the same as Braille. Uh, and Braille it, it has, has amazing, outstanding potential with lower-cost Braille cells that are being produced. And one that's of one things, of the things that really excites me. One of the things I think about with Braille versus audio is uh, when you read, 
as a sighted person, you have a different experience than when someone reads yeah. to you well, because your imagination builds what is that world. You, you can see it in your head what's going on. I would think the same thing would be true with Braille. Absolutely. Not to mention the fact that an audio, when you're listening, it's a passive experience. You're just sitting there. or you're, And we're, we're, when you're reading, whether it's you're looking at a piece of paper or you're running your fingers over a piece of paper, you're actively involved in the experience that's taking place. So it's it's a more active it, it, it's an, reading is an active participation sport, whereas when you're listening to it, you can just be sitting there thinking about your dishes. Yeah, exactly, and aren't we all? All right, well, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing here, where would they go? Well, they can come to our booth here at CES if they're here. Uh, we'd love to see them and say hi and show them what we have. If not, they can come out to our website, www.aph.org. And uh, we will have it's a, a website that will take you days to get through because the amount of information that is there about products as well as about the field in general. So it's a lot of information. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for you t- taking the time to talk to us Thank today. You, Thank you very much. Let's shift gears for just a second here, and I'd like to tell you about a wonderful human named George Smith. George took time out of his busy life to go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon and pledged his hard-earned dollars to help the show. He decided the right weekly dollar amount for his family, and by doing this, he showed me that he gets value from the content he receives here on the Podfeet podcast. If you get value from the shows, please consider being wonderful like George and signing up to become a patron of the show. All right, let's get back to another CES interview. I'm in the Royal booth, Royal booth, I said it wrong, with... uh, William Strand. William Strand, I forgot his name again. Anyway, he's wearing a crazy hat. It's got a display up on the top of it with clowns, which is a little terrifying. Oh, yeah. But in his hands, he's got a tablet that he's going to fold. Yes, and uh, well, this is what we do here at Royal. Flexible display technology. And, so uh, you're actually we're actually watching about a what is that about seven inch tablet that he has seven point eight inch seven point eight inch tablet. It's an Android tablet. He's folded it in half, Whoops. and each time he folds it and unfolds it, it, the operating system is adapting completely to show the different orientations and and uh, that's what it's doing. It's trying to figure out okay where are you and at what orientation are you and as I move it around, it's it's trying to adjust. To me, and it is adjusting. It is succeeding at adjusting. Oh, it, yes, yes. Not and just so, trying. And really, what the the whole use of this is is we have the typical smartphone use here, and then when I get to uh, my coffee shop and I get an email saying you got to do some spreadsheet stuff, well, I can just open it up, and I can have a uh, a tablet size workspace, so it's a whole lot more productive. So I thought this was uh, all vaporware still. You guys are actually doing it. I mean, I'm seeing it with my actual own eyes, just so you guys believe. Yes, and Royal is the first company to uh, commercially produce uh, a flexible uh, model. And if you come on the uh, the floor at CCS tomorrow, you're going to see tables and tables of this. It's actually in production. Okay, so this isn't a one-off here. It is not a one-off. It's not quite straight, but you can make it straight, right? Yeah, sure, I can make it straight. Just (laughs) want to make sure they didn't think it stayed bent Uh, like that. No, 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 (laughs) no. Now, how often can you flex it like this? Well, we've tested it to 200,000 times, and uh, we stopped testing. It didn't break at that point. We just so you just testing. sat a toddler down with it? Well, yeah. I mean, they, they work or an engineer, for, same they, thing. They work for lollipops. <laughs> well, this is very cool. So uh, when will something like this be available in the United States? 
coming up. We're working on it. It's uh, actually available in China. It's available as a developer's kit here in the United States. As far as for a consumer model, we're working on it, but I don't have a date yet. Okay, but this is real. This oh, is not fake. Real. This is real. It's I'm actually working. I'm in my own hands. One more. One more. One more, ben, more ben for oh, the video. Yeah. Ooh, baby. Oh, yeah. He's he's folding it. That's right. He's rolling right. it. So it does have a, a roll to it. It's not a crease, I wouldn't That's say, correct. but it's definitely compact. It's definitely compact, it's and it'll uh, fit in my pocket. Right He's got big dad pockets there, That's but uh, <laughs> let's see if it fits in girl pockets. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just trying to steal it here, but... Yeah, okay. Uh, well. oh, oh, wait, it's fitting in girl pockets. Not quite. That's all the deeper girl pockets go. Oh, wow. You guys got shallow pockets. Yeah, yeah. Well, our pockets are worthless. You know, I got to work. You know what? We should work on that in, the, in our culture here and get yeah, a, deeper pockets. <laughs> all right. So if people want to learn more about Royal products, where would they go? Oh, they go to our uh, uh, website, royal.com, R-O-Y-O-L-E.com. Very much. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> sure. I got to tell you, I held that flexible tablet in my very own hands and I bent it every single which way I could find. The Android operating system somehow immediately adapted to all the different ways I'd folded it. For example, when the device was in portrait format and unfolded, the OS adapted to be readable in a vertical format. But when I folded it in half and I held it in landscape once it was folded in half, again, the operating system adapted. I flipped it over to look at the other side, and the OS jumped over to the other side and again adapted. Now, I know this isn't ready for prime time, and I'm not actually sure I'm sold that a foldable tablet phone is something we actually need, but it is here, and it is real, and it is definitely not vaporware. Well, we all love having packages delivered. We go crazy with Amazon and all the other companies delivering to us. But a big problem is packages being stolen off your desk, your, of, off of your doorstep, I should say. Yep. And uh, I'm here with Corey Weirmeyer of uh, Danby Appliances, who has a, a product called Parcel Guard. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so we, uh, we wanted to stop those porch fires because it's happening more and more. Uh, so we created the Parcel Guard, which is a smart mailbox. Uh, includes uh, things like an IP camera, so that you're able to see anybody that comes to your doorstep. Uh, we've able to throw in uh, an app that's able to keep track of all your packages that are being delivered to your home, uh, a place that you're able to see every package being delivered to your home, and then uh, a place that we're able to uh, unlock the bottom door so that we're able to get that package out uh, from there safely and securely. And as well, you can share that with friends and family as well so that you can put something in the bottom door and they can grab it out for you as well. Let me, uh, let me explain to the audio-only listeners. Yeah. I'm standing next to a mailbox that is uh, maybe up to my elbow when I'm standing here, and it's got an upper drawer and a lower drawer. It's maybe three feet across here, and uh, it's a nice matte block. Matte yeah, black it's here. A, it's, it's a matte black. It's about uh, 24 inches wide, and, and you were right about it. It's about 40 inches tall. Um, so we have two doors on it as well. So we have the, the top door here that's able to take packages normally. Uh, so you're able, somebody's able to just come, stick something inside, and then drop it down to the bottom door, uh, where it's as nice, safe, and secure. As soon as he closed secure. it, it disappears it's from gone. above. Magic. Oh That's my right. gosh, this is crazy. That's right. So, so it just falls anybody down? Anybody can do that, and then it simply comes through. I can open it in my app, and, and then I'm able to go, to, to go and get it as well. 
But okay, so we, you open the bottom to get to, to get to it. It looks like the bottom's a lot bigger, so you could get more than one package. That's right. Yeah, I mean, we want people that are getting three to five packages at home uh, sent there. As well, that well, surfboard though, you ordered isn't going to fit in here, but mo- most yet. standard packaging yeah. looks like. But what we did is also that uh, so that if you have a tracking uh, bar uh, for any delivery, they can simply scan it in the camera. And so say you ordered a, a case of wine and, and you wanted it delivered. Well, it's not going to fit up there, and you don't really want it to drop down, but you can simply uh, have them scan it, have them pop open the bottom door, and then slip in that, that case of wine that you ordered. And, and the only you, problem with the case of wine you ordered is you have to have someone over 21 sign for it, at least in the state of California. Fair enough. Maybe yeah. up in Canada you yeah. can have a dollar. I don't know, you we crazy got, we, Canadian. We have lots of crazy things going on right now. Uh, uh, but yeah. Uh, okay, so, and, and maybe that's a bad analogy, but I mean, uh, just on, on, on different things that could be delivered. On sure. Stars. So how would you let them know to scan the barcode? Uh, so uh, every, I mean, we, we have to train the customer. Everybody that, that gets one, it's going to be part of the app. And that's a big thing is that we want people to... No, I mean, I oh, let's say I know how this works. How do I tell FedEx to, oh, yes. to yes. scan a barcode? Yes. How do they even know there's something to scan when? So it's a two-part thing. I mean, we have to have the homeowner work with, uh, when they order online, tell them to put it in the parcel guard. We have stickers that'll be on your door that say, hey, please deliver it to, to my parcel, uh, my mailbox, uh, as well as we're, we're working with uh, FedEx, UPS as well, so that we can tell the drivers uh, of how to use this product. Yeah, the uh, only problem I see with that is now Amazon is using, you know, Bob's uncle to yeah. uh, deliver your products. You know, you don't you don't know who it's coming from now. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, and Amazon's off, doing other things. Will. Yeah, coming in your homes. But yeah, that, yeah, that's the main thing. And, and that's why we kept it simple as well, so that we, I mean, we're not going to change behaviors like that. Um, so we wanted to have the upper slot that you could just simply put things in. If the driver doesn't know how to use it, they can use that. But what we want is that they track it and scan it and put it down in the bottom area as well. So across the front, what I, I've got a pretty big area of, of plastic here. What is that? Yeah. That's the, the so, camera there? Yeah, so we have a camera in the center, uh, some indicator lights to let you know you have power, as well as uh, a motion detected uh, PIR. And, uh, and, a, and a little uh, sensor as well that, that works with the lights. Oh, you mentioned power. So how is this powered? Yeah, so we, we plug it in. It uses a, a low-voltage cable so that you're able to plug it in. Uh, you can have it to be up to 100 feet long. Um, it can be buried underground, but you can find any outlet that you have on, on the outside of your home and plug into it. Uh, it connects to your Wi-Fi. Uh, in your house oh. as well, so that that's how it, it, it's being uh, getting all the smart technology, and because we're sending everything up to the cloud. So you better make sure you got a good mesh network getting the signal out to your front yard. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, it, it, you may have to have like a router or extender uh, to be able to get it uh, up sure. there, but. And it's got this. Does it come with this nice red flag? Yeah. Oh, that she just broke off. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, defective one already. Um, yeah, so it comes with a red flag. Uh, so you can Canada, show that there's, so yeah. if you want somebody to pick something up? That's right. So if something's available or somebody drops something off at your house, they can simply uh, hit that and let you know that it's there. Okay. But yeah. the good thing is as well, it's got weight sensors in the bottom. So that if something is put in there, you know immediately that something's there. So oh, so you've got the camera notifying you and the weight of the, uh, the thing that went That's in. right, yeah. Oh, cool. Now, uh, you mentioned weight. You were saying something about you can weigh this down to make it more yeah. secure? Yeah, so there's three things you can do. You can bolt it into the ground. You can bolt it into your wall. But if you're scared of doing either one of those to, you know, your nice front porch, you can actually, uh, there's a false bottom in there where you can throw in about 30 pounds of sand or bricks. And so that plus the weight of the unit, we got an 80-pound unit, uh, that's really big, and if you try to take it, there's a car alarm in it as well, so that it's going to start signaling off to you that you don't want to do this. Oh, you know? this is fantastic. Yeah. 
All right. So if people, uh, well, let's see, when is this going to be available? So it'll be at uh, the beginning of February. We'll be uh, ready to go on the, uh, the Parcel Guard website as well as online at uh, the different retailers that we work with uh, as well. Okay, and how much is this going to go for? The unit sells for $399, and, uh, and then it has all the, the cloud-based features, and everything that we, we've talked about has all that included. Okay, very, very good. So where would people go to find this? Yeah, so they can go to our website, dambyparsaguard.com, uh, and then that, that'll have links. Uh, you'll be able to uh, uh, you know, order it on Amazon, Best Buy, those types of places. We're just As soon as we have it available, it'll be up on those websites. Fantastic. All right, good luck to you. This looks like a very cool product. Uh, thank you very much. And yeah, like you said, we want to be able to, to, to stomp out porch fires and, and people falling around UPS trucks. So I think this will definitely help it. I have never done that on the day an iPhone was being delivered. Not once. Okay. I think that's all the time we have. Perfect. Thank you very much. Well, I find the Darby, uh, Danby, sorry, Danby parcel guard, a really interesting product because uh, it does give you a lot of control and flexibility of, of who you can let leave packages and where and how they get stored safely. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of the companies that deliver products, they replace them for you if they get stolen. So why would you spend money doing it? But then again, I guess you really want to get your packages is the real goal. So going through that hassle is, uh, is something you wouldn't want to do. Um, it is big though. It was, it's, it's a big device. It's a, uh, it's really, really big. <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting idea and it's definitely solving a problem a lot of us have. What's well, that time of the week again? It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchats. How are you doing today, Bart Bouchats? I am doing just fine, Alison. Um, yeah, I, I am, I've entered the last year of my 30s. I need to make the most of it while I'm still young. Ah, there you go. All right, this is the year you climb Mount Everest, huh? Well, you've done that on your bike this year. If you add, add up all actually, if you add it up, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure somewhere on map my ride, it'll tell me you know the cumulative elevation gain, and it'll probably be something stupid because everything's uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill around here. Oh yeah, you should check that. That might be fun. I did that once with um, I don't know one of the apps, and I realized I could have walked across Europe twice, no, three times, I think that year. Oh, cool! <laughs> it's pretty fun. Well, let's uh, let's dig into some security news. Yeah, so it's only one week's worth of news, and yet the notes look quite full. Yeah, they do. You know, so I guess all of that stuff they weren't doing over Christmas, they've decided to do now or something. Um, we get to start with some follow-up stories from stuff we've talked about before. So the cast hack was sort of recently breaking news, so much so that you had to read out part of my um, my Your stuff addendum. last time. <laughs> yeah, so I just updated these show notes to contain the links that... it sort of informed my talking to you about it. So oh, okay, good. That's, that's sort of what's there. Uh, there's also been some more details from the Marriott uh, data leak. Um, sort of a glass half full, glass half empty. So in terms of the total number of people affected, that went down. Ah. Uh, but to be honest, that's not really the story. The story is that they have confirmed that they leaked 5 million passport numbers. Oh, yeah, that's, awesome. that's just... Yeah, that's just not good information. That's like social security numbers on steroids, because everyone on planet Earth has a passport number if they've traveled. Yeah, you know, so, I'm pretty sure that's the only thing that the um, opium hack didn't have on me. Oh, yeah, that was the one thing that they'd forgotten about. Yeah. Okay, right. all done now. Now I can say it's yeah. done. You gotta, you gotta catch them all. Congratulations, you win. <laughs> catch them all. 
Or lose them all, I guess. The opposite of catch them all, have them all caught. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. Uh, something I didn't dig into a lot last time, I, I, did, I popped it in and suggested reading because I hadn't had the time to digest it enough, but I think actually we should uh, regurgitate it, if you'll excuse the expression. Um, and just actually the first thing to say is in the show notes is a link to episode 120 of the Secure Mac podcast. Um, and that's not the name of the podcast. That's the name of the company. I should update those notes. It's called The Checklist by Secure Mac. Ah, okay. Uh, Ken Ray is the host and he gets on smart people from Secure Mac to talk about security stuff. It's, it's an interesting new security podcast with a not an ever so slight Macintosh bias, a total and utter Macintosh bias. <laughs> Um, but one of the, the first segment on episode 120 is all about the um, phone-based scams. We're used to these from people pretending to call from Microsoft, but there's a new campaign, I guess you'd call it, a, a, a spate of them, targeting Apple users with a twist. Hmm. I haven't seen the full technical details of the twist confirmed to me, but I think I understand what's going on. So this one has a bit of a caveat on it. What I can tell you is what it looks like. The phone rings, and it looks like Apple are calling you. Right. We've had that and for every while. iPhone, when you get it out of the box, has in the address book, by default, Apple Inc. Right. So caller ID tells number. you it's Apple. So they are... It's my understanding is that they are using one of the many, many, many bugs in probably the S9 protocol that ties our cell phone networks together to spoof the caller ID. This has been going on for a really long time, like long, like so long that when you call Apple here, it says Mm -hmm. if you think you have been called by Apple, that's not right. And yes, we have told the authorities about it for like at least six months. Even longer. Good. Of course, because iPhones ship with a default address book entry for Apple, Mm -hmm. when the phone rings, you get the full Cupertino address, Apple's website, basically the full contact card that Apple put in there to advertise that you gets put up. So it looks excruciatingly legitimate. Right, right. So much so that if you actually dial Apple, it will show up in your call list as being from the same person. Right. So... If That's Apple the calls extra you. little, yeah. So if Apple calls you, they won't. They don't call you unless you actually explicitly make an appointment where they will call you at a given time that you have arranged with them through their web interface. That is and the only time Apple phone will number. call you. It's never and that It's a different phone, phone number, number. yeah, it's support, yeah. not their 1-800 number, yeah. Right, right. So pretty much so if, that you ever see that, if you ever see Apple calling you, no, they're not. <laughs> precisely, precisely. You okay. are not that important. They have better things to do. <laughs> Well, if it says Tim okay. Cook, then you're, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. That's definitely legit. <laughs> uh, how much sarcasm can you put into one sentence? Anyway, um, notable security updates. Uh, some big ones here. So first off, Adobe were forced to release an out-of-band patch for their PDF products, i.e. Acrobat and Reader, because there was a nasty zero day under active exploitation. So, Ooh. yay. Now, that's um, kind of interesting because... Um a woman who isn't real sophisticated wrote into one of the Mac user groups I'm a member of, and she was asking about what is this Acrobat update, and we all told her to run away, assuming it was a, a, a fake one. It might have been real, but always yeah. go to the website anyway. Right, but it depends on what kind of, like, when did this update come up? Because if it was the app itself doing its self-tests 
It might have been. You know, it's self-update. That's okay. But that's very hard to explain to a... A novice. Yeah, and her explanation yeah. wasn't real good. You had to kind of read between the lines to see what she was seeing. And if you read between the lines, you may end up reading the wrong line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Go to the website. Download the update. Yeah, I think that is the only advice you can give, really, in that kind of a situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, or don't use... I don't understand yeah. why you'd use Acrobat on a Mac, because previews actually really aren't good. I can tell you why, because a whole bunch of stupid websites tell you this thing won't work with whatever you have. You have a Mac. You better go download this Adobe software. I get it all the time. And I finally trained my father-in-law to stop, you know, freaking out when he sees it. Don't listen to it. It's fake. Yeah. Adobe really went out of their way to get people to push their stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of websites just have never updated themselves to remove that garbage. It's rubbish. Preview is a great PDF reader. Yeah. And writer. And yeah, I haven't had any Adobe junk on my machine in ages. No, no Flash, no Acrobat, no Reader. My financial I do have all the Adobe photography apps, but that's not junk, I guess. My financial advisor needed me to sign some forms and, and sent me them and only Adobe would open them. And I told her, yeah, find another way. Not going to do it. And she did. No. Oh, good. Anyway, so the out-of-band patch, X-Wade in the Wild. So if you are insisting on running that Adobe stuff, make sure it's up to date. Uh, that was then followed by um, a revelation um, that Microsoft had proactively patched a nasty bug in Skype for Android way back on the 23rd of December. And nobody knew? Um, well, they knew it was a patch, but basically the security researcher and Apple, and not Apple, and Microsoft basically didn't say what the patch was for because it was actually a fairly dangerous lock screen bypass and they wanted some time to go by for people to actually have the patch installed before they revealed the details of the hack. So when Apple does updates, they don't tell you what it is, right? They say, patch bugs. Uh, No, they have CVE numbers, actually. Oh. So that is actually the ultimate telling you what it is, is the CVE numbers. So in this case, basically, I'm sure Microsoft had release notes, because Microsoft always have release notes, but the release notes omitted these details, and they have now been published. Interesting. So, and it was, yeah, I'm assuming it's a difference in architecture, because although there are lock screen bypasses for iOS, they're never in an app. It's not possible for an app to bypass your lock screen. They're OS bugs, which Apple have to fix. In this case, the Skype app allowed full bypass of the Android lock screen. That, that oh. seems like Android security. I know. Squeeze me? Yeah. So the Skype app, it, it, basically, the hack was you ring someone's phone on Skype, you answer the call, and you have now unlocked their phone. Oh, jeez. Okay. What? So if you steal somebody's phone and they've got Skype on Did- it, you can call it with your phone. Yeah. So you'd have to know answer the Answer user- the Skype call. Wouldn't you have to know the username of the person whose phone you were holding in your hand? Yes, so it would only work against someone who you're targeting rather than a random stranger. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's still not Which good. Is, but. It's very not good, because if you were going after a, high, a high-end CEO, you may have that kind of information. Yeah, Right, maybe. you're going after someone in specific. Right. I mean, if you're doing any sort of spear, spear phishing attack, you're going to know who it is you're targeting. It's Yeah, it's not good, and I don't understand how an app, there's obviously still some work to be done to secure Android if an app can do this. That yeah, that doesn't seem the OS smart at all. Yeah, only the OS should be able to mess that up, not, a, not an app by Microsoft. But anyway, there we go. And then finally, we had Patch Tuesday for January of 2019. More updates from Adobe and a whole bunch from Microsoft too. 
So lots well, of good. patching to be done. Good. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And always right. apply them. Notable news. Um, so fishing just got quite a bit more dangerous. So recently, within both within December, we talked twice about using effectively a reverse proxying technique to bypass two-factor auth by getting the user to type whatever the two-factor code is into a fake website and then passing that through to the real website. Right. Uh, we described the Iranian government using that technique to target U.S. Uh, officials, and we described unknown malicious attackers using it to target Amnesty International. Well, right. it's just got a whole lot easier because there is now what's being referred to as a penetration testing tool, <laughs> or you could refer to it as a hacking tool, depending on how it's going to be used, sort of a bit like a chainsaw. It's A, a very useful tool for cutting down trees, B, a murder weapon, <laughs> kind of all in how you deploy it. Uh, so this is this tool is called uh, Modlishka, which is the Polish for Mantis, apparently, and it automates this reverse proxy style attack on 2FA. So now anyone can have this technology at their beck and call if they wish. So is it of a, course, a tool that it's something you would embed into a web page? Yeah, so you still have to trick someone into going to some sort of phishing site because okay, right. you need to get them to enter the stuff into your website, not the real website, and then you reverse proxy it through to the website you're attacking. Right. Okay. Okay, gotcha. So basically check that address bar even more carefully. And you should check that address bar. Basically, the two-factor code should make you just as suspicious as username, password, credit card number. Any of the sensitive information you've already been suspicious about also be suspicious about two-factor codes. Okay. Just check the address bar. That's that's what it boils down to. Check that address bar. Uh, we mentioned a few times over the last couple of months that the EU are working on the difficult second album following the GDPR, the European Copyright Directive. And unlike the GDPR, this one isn't at all about protecting people. This one's about that other mandate the EU have, protecting corporations. Um, and it's been controversial. And in particular, Article 13 has been very controversial. And as part of the preparation for Article 13 coming into effect, the European um, lawmakers from the European Parliament published a list of the websites that they think should be classified as piracy websites and therefore be illegal within the EU. And their list reads like something a two-year-old put together with a dartboard and a phone book. <laughs> oh, no. Because uh, Cloudflare is apparently a piracy site. Oh, come on. I am sure there is piracy hidden behind Cloudflare. That is not the same thing as being a piracy site. Not at all. Now, this is a draft list, and it has been roundly mocked. So okay. I don't think there's a danger of this coming into effect as is, but it does just highlight that these people are writing copyright law, and they're bloody idiots. <laughs> they, are, they are paying too much attention to the copyright lobby and not enough attention to reality, in my opinion. Now, Do you so, see any hope? Well, you see, here's the thing. The EU is a very, very big institution. So the next story also has a blue flag with yellow stars in it because the European Commission has just announced 50 new bug bounty programs to reward researchers who find and responsibly disclose bugs in popular free and open source apps. Well, that's Stuff good. like VLC and um, 
uh, SSL and all of these. Yeah, basically, it's really, really good. Like, the, if you read into the story, some of the stuff that's going to be covered by this is fantastic. So, this is the European Commission doing the exact opposite of messing things up. I mean, really clever on technology and doing the right thing and helping people. So, they are being simultaneously stupid and brilliant all at the same time because they're a giant big organization full of human beings and they have all of the foibles <laughs> of human beings. I was going to say they isn't the same person. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. So in terms of the copyright directive, there's a lot of pressure coming on all the right people. So I wouldn't panic about that just yet. It hasn't come into into effect yet. And this draft list is unlikely to. So I think the fact that they're being so mocked for getting Cloudflare so wrong is probably the best thing that could have happened. Because oh, the fact that they get something so obviously not spy. Yeah, uh, in their spicy. draft. Okay. Yeah. The fact that they messed up their draft this badly should help them not mess up the real thing even nearly as badly. And perhaps rethink their strategy? Ultimately, the, the law has been passed by the parliament, so the law is coming. The question is what goes on the lists. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah. Um, meanwhile, over in Holland, which is also part of the European Union, um, they have a consumer agency called the Consumentenbund, um, which is basically sort of the consumer trade union is one way you could translate that. In, in Dutch, it's one of those languages like German where you can just mush words together. <laughs> so it is actually the word for, I guess, guild rather than trade union. Um, so the word for guild shoved onto the word for consumer is what their name means. Anyway, they tested 110 smartphones that have facial recognition technology for unlocking the device. Okay. And they wondered... How many of these 110 devices could you fool with a photograph? So they tested, of those 110, that included iPhones and Androids. And they found, out of those 110, they found 42 of them that they could get by with their photograph easily. Close to half. Yeah, all Android phones. As ah. well as those 42... It's even worse because there's actually 48 in total. So as well as those 42, they found six other Android devices which failed the test with their factory default settings, but they contained settings where you could basically say, be a bit stricter about the face, and then they passed the test. Meaning they couldn't be fooled by the, by the photo. After, yeah, so after you went in and tweaked the settings, you could get to the stage where the photo didn't fool them anymore. So they could have shipped them working correctly. Yeah, I don't get it. Chose either way, to. so... Huh. Yep. Well, that's good. That'll tell you if you have one of those six phones, you could harden it, but of the, the other 42, you can't? Yeah, so if you have one of those other 42, I hope they have a fingerprint scanner. <laughs> that doesn't suck. Yeah. Or a passcode. That's probably your best bet, to be perfectly honest. Um, the original reporting is, of course, all in Dutch, because they're a Dutch consumer agency. Why would they do it in English? Um... So I have linked to the original because they have a list of the phones and I have given you in the show notes the translations of what oh. the different section headings mean. Oh, good. So if you want to get the 57 devices that passed the test and you're looking for, you know, copy, paste, command, control, command F for find, etc. Okay. So everything you have there to find your device. If you have an iPhone, you're fine, so you don't have to worry about it. But if you have an Android device and you use the facial unlock, it will be nice to know if your phone is one of the 110. And I think if your phone is anyway at all a popular model, that seems like a reasonable expectation, right? I was I was trying to read some more of these headings uh, beyond what you had translated, and I found one that said, 42 Telefons Valendur Demand. 
And I asked Google Translate to tell me what it means and said, 42, 42 phones fall through the basket. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yes, it's the an net, idiom. Is it like the net? No, no, it really does mean fall through the basket, but oh. it's, a, it's, it's a common, it's an idiom, right? Ah. As in, they fall through the cracks. We would say you fall through the cracks, they'd oh. say you fall through the basket. Okay, so it did say it exactly what it was supposed to say. Yep, it's just culturally, if you were to translate that for actual use, you'd say slip through the cracks. Okay. Instead of fall through the basket, you'd say slip through the cracks. So yeah, mm. translation is hard. Translation is really hard. So it looks um, like, oh, I just uh, started taking a look at the 42 that failed. Um, I am surprised to see this. Galaxy A7, A8, A8 plus. A, I'm not used to seeing an A in front of those. That's odd. Yeah, model numbers and galaxies and Samsungs confuse me. Yeah. A couple of Xiaomi phones, BlackBerry, BlackBerry makes phones, uh, a couple of Huawei, some Lenovo's, LG, Motorola, Nokia. Yeah, they're not Seriously? like fly-by-night operators, right? They no, are. HTC U11 Plus? Huh. Yeah. That's to say, I, I was just happy that the iPhones passed. Now... Yeah. Given the dot projectors and all the really cool technology in there, you know, there's a lot of that facial recognition is just using the cameras. Apple don't just use the cameras. Apple are doing an awful lot more. Yeah, yeah. That's why they have a notch, as controversial as that was, and that notch is crammed full of tech. Some of them have pretend notches that contain nothing. Some of the Android phones, which I think is genius, have all of the drawbacks for no advantage because this way we look like an iPhone. Okay. Like you copied the one unfortunate side effect? Yeah, you basically chose to copy a trade-off that I'm sure Apple were not happy to have to make, but it it was a very clever trade-off to make because I, if you give me the choice, no notch or no face ID, give me the notch. I will take the notch. Double it in size. Just let me keep face ID. Now that I have it on my iPad and my iPhone, I am never going back. Oh, I know. Saw this touching thing. I just crack up at people like, well, I'm keeping my my touch ID. That's ridiculous. I'm never going to use... Really? Have you ever cooked? (laughs) Ever stepped out of the shower and wanted to turn on a podcast? Or or pause something because it's making way too much noise? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Having to touch a very specific thing for in a very specific way and have your hands be dry, etc., so that, just look at it. Yeah. Although I do keep covering that camera. No matter what way I flip my <laughs> iPad, I always manage... To, that's why they have an icon for it. And I know you've already mocked them for having such a bad design, you need a special icon. Right, right. Anyway, we get there the in the end. Yep. Yeah, it's like, oh, pointing. Oh, that finger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, we uh, Don't worry, we pick it up again with a good news story by the end, but uh, I'm afraid to say we go downhill a little bit here for a moment. I group the bad news together. Motherboard decided to do a little bit of follow-up research. So you may remember that last June there was a fairly damaging expose that showed that US cell phone carriers were selling your location data mm. uh, for profit to questionable sources. Perfectly and so legal. Motherboard wondered... Pardon? Perfectly legal. United States. Oh, yes, absolutely, because you have no data protection. The only thing stopping them might be shame. So they promised they would stop in June. Well, it's now 2019. They didn't technically promise they would stop. They said they would stop with certain vendors. There would still be some high-value vendors that they thought provided useful services that they would sell it to. 
Well, that was AT and T. Oh, I'm sorry. Try to thread that needle. Yeah. So eight. That is exactly what AT and T said. Okay. Um, Verizon actually were the only company last June to have a good answer. Verizon said, "Yeah, we used to do that, but we stopped a couple of years ago." Hmm. Or was it maybe it was a couple of months ago? By the way, they stopped before the reporting came out, which was a very nice thing to be able to say. Um, and so now that we revisit the story, basically to cut to the chase, Motherboard found, yeah, it's still going on. Shock and or horror. Uh, but Verizon are still in the clear because they were already in the clear last June. So that's, ah. they're kind of getting out of this very well. Um, what, what Motherboard found was that for the whopping total of $300, they could get the GPS coordinates for any cell phone in America. Nice. Very nice. Uh, there were calls from federal lawmakers for investigations, which probably piqued AT&T's attention because AD&T said, no, no, we're definitely stopping. And this time we mean it. Like, we're stopping it all. Not, o- not only the, the, the quote-unquote nasty stuff, we're just stopping it all. Uh, T-Mobile and Sprint said, yeah, okay, we'll stop too. And Verizon went, yeah, we've been stopped for ages. <laughs> so, so we are getting places. I, well, let's wait six months and see because we thought we were there last time. So let's see how we go from here. Yeah. Um, the next story, I'm afraid, is also not a good one. From The Intercept, um, there's no nice way to break it to you, Alison, but it seems Ring might be doing a bit of an Uber. <sighs> so one of the... the as I, I, I had this conversation with my darling beloved this morning when we were out doing the shopping, and I just said, you know, Ring have been caught doing an Uber, and he went, what, they're molesting people? Or oh, was it they're being mis- misogynistic? I was like, no, 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 not that kind of Uber, <laughs> the other kind of Uber. They're spying on people. Oh, I'd forgotten they used to do that. Well, yeah. wow. let's not overstate it. Yeah, so the issue with Uber that I was referencing is the fact that they had a thing called God Mode, which would allow an employee to see anyone's Uber stuff. Mm-hmm. Well... What Ring have is a research lab in Ukraine, which has access to unencrypted versions of everyone's videos, which are all sitting in Amazon's cloud unencrypted, which to me is almost a bigger story here. That all of those videos are sitting in an Amazon S3 bucket without encryption. But didn't they say it would be hard to encrypt it? No, they may have said that. But I'm sorry, it's 2019. No, it isn't. Yeah. We literally have hardware for that. And the only people who need to see your video really is you. So right. the key could just be a field in your, you know, just stick the key as a field in your um, user profile. As long as the videos and the profiles aren't stored in the same place, which they're not, because one of them is in a database and one of them is in an Amazon bucket, then that's good enough. Or at least significantly better than what you have now. Like, you know, we have the hardware to do encryption. Anyone who tells you in 2019 that encryption is hard has been playing with the wrong Barbie doll. Myth <laughs> is hard. No, it isn't. Right. By the way, I knew the woman who invented that Barbie doll. They oh, added that. that so they added that audio when she was on vacation. There was oh, a, okay, there were okay. other audio recordings, and they put it in on her. Yeah, it was not her fault. Um, I'd be very cranky if I came back from my holiday and someone had you know done oh, something yeah. of that. Yeah, it was, it was, she was pretty mad. Uh, so, you know, gay men like pink or something. No, now, the, the one thing that we can, you know, squint and make this not as bad as Uber is Uber was actually using that God mode to do things. These, yeah, and Uber was caught even worse because they had God mode, which was already bad. Then they had gray, was it, what did they call it? Gray bowl? Yeah. Where they were using their God mode to figure out who might be 
a government official who might be trying to make sure they're abiding by the law and therefore blackballs them. Yeah, yeah. So Ring hasn't done anything like that that we know of. They've got they've got all yeah. this data. They've got an unencrypted, and their research center people can can view this unencrypted view all of your videos. But and they, they can query it by email address. Is the one last bit that that brings the creep factor up? Right, so they you, can they have an email address, but there's no evidence that they have done anything with this. That they have, yeah. So the intercept were clear, right? That, that just because they can doesn't mean they are. What they are doing with it is they're using it to try train their machine learning, so that it can figure out that's a car, that's a person, that's a cat, that's a burglar, which has advantages. Yeah. Now, um, uh, Yasi, I forget what her last name is. She's actually the woman we talked to at uh, CES that I interviewed. Um, ah. I think she's. Oh, I'm trying to find her her name in here. Uh, she said that they use the, um, there's, there's a mode in the ring application where you can share videos to the, to the neighborhood. So a lot of people will post, Hey, this person stole something off my, my doorstep. Anybody else seen this guy, uh, or this woman? And she is saying that that's the footage they were using. I think, let's see. Yeah. So what I heard was that the footage that they were actively using, these videos are people had opted into. Sorry. These videos are sourced exclusively from publicly shared Ring videos from the Neighbors app. And that's the piece I was saying. It's not really a separate app, but, well, maybe it is. Uh, In accordance with the terms of service and from a small fraction of Ring users who provided their explicit written consent. That's different than them having access to all of the videos. So I don't know which is true. No, no. That's entirely consistent with the Intercept's reporting. The Intercept is saying they have access to them all, but they're only using certain videos for the AI research. Oh, okay. Both statements can be equally true. Okay. Yasi no Shamiri confidence. is her name. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And I don't have any reason to disbelieve her. But it's still, I don't feel comfortable by the fact that those emails are all sitting in one giant big unencrypted bucket and indexed by email address. That's videos, not a good yeah. design. Yeah, it could be encrypted, but you know, I, I uh, I'm so conflicted about Ring. My house is covered in them. <laughs> I've well, got okay. So from a security point of view, we regularly say really nice things about them because the way security news about Ring goes is like this: there was a bug. All of your doorbells patched themselves last week, and now we can tell you how you know what it was, but it's all fixed and you're fine. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, these are the guys that sent me in writing that they were becoming. Um, uh, that they had submitted their app to the Mac App Store. And because I asked them why the on the web, it showed a picture, uh, it showed the the icon for the Mac App Store. But when you clicked it, it was a download of a DMG. And I said, you know, that's not right. You know, you, it's not in the Mac App Store. Yes. And they said, they said, no, 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 we've submitted it. Yeah, we're expecting approval any day now. So I waited a couple of weeks, asked them again. Oh yeah, any minute now, any minute now. I asked a third time and then I got silence and I kept pinging. And finally, Jamie, the CEO of Ring wrote to me and said, no, we've never submitted to this, the, the Mac App Store and we have no intention of doing that. Was like, so why is the icon there? Well, and that was my other thing. It was I said, okay, now it's just misleading. It's not the Mac App Store. And they said, oh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll fix it. And I waited weeks. I mean, I, you know, when I get this like a dog with a bone for Allison, I'm going to nail these guys till they do it. And I kept saying, look, this is like 15 seconds for a web developer to change that icon. It's really easy. You don't need to mislead people. It took them another three weeks. But I badgered them until yeah. they did it. I'm sure they love you. Yeah, but but that kind of thing just yeah, that's what kind of makes me get a 
creepy feeling, you know? It does, because if they can't be truthful about simple things like icons, it kind of makes it harder to believe them when they say, no, 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 don't worry, we're not abusing that data that we have when encrypted sitting there in a book at index by email address. I want to believe you. I sort of feel like they have two different halves that do some things right, amazing and some things not. Like they also have a program, an affiliate program. So Pat Dengler is a is an expert in Ring, and and so she's one of these affiliates. And if you buy through her link, uh, she gets a kickback, and you get a big percentage off. Yay! So a friend of mine tried to use her link, and it didn't work. And she called she called up Ring or contacted them in some way, and they said, "No, this isn't real. This is a total scam. Wherever you got this link, that's a scam." It's like it's their own what? fucking yeah, but again, not talking to each other, right? Not having a good communication. So the left hand actually doesn't know what the right hand is doing in ring. Well, the, and, and that could be the sometimes. answer to the two answers about the Mac App Store, right? It could absolutely, it could. Yeah. Um, Hanlon's razor, you know, don't don't describe to malice that which can be easily explained by incompetence. Yeah. Uh, and the other potential light at the end of this tunnel, which may be a train or the end of the tunnel, is that they've recently been acquired by Amazon, and I can't imagine Amazon are looking at this coverage and going, "Great, that company's running just like we want." <laughs> oh, I found the quote in the Intercept article about encryption. At the time the Ukrainian access was provided, the video files were left unencrypted, the source said, because of Ring's leadership's, quote, sense that encrypt, uh, encryption would make the company less valuable, unquote, owing to the expense of uh. implementing encryption and lost revenue opportunities due to restricted access. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's even slimier than they thought. <laughs> okay, so uh, Amazon, yay. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You, oh, oh, you, I'm sorry. I got a slam ring mo- one more time. Do a search on Twitter for um, or even on the web for uh, ring and HomeKit in the same same phrase. And you will find them announcing HomeKit compatibility over a year ago. And every single person who writes to them, say they write back and they say, we're working hard on implementing HomeKit soon. Well, here's the first hit I get. In 2016, you said HomeKit's coming in early 2017, and now it's late 2017. Or in early, yeah, now it's late 2017, still no HomeKit. This was a huge reason I purchased my Ring Pro. Yep. Yep. Yeah, lying to people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, their, their tweet oh, was, CES Hello, 2019. Home, Hello HomeKit, it's good to finally meet you, was tweeted by the Ring uh, Twitter account. Right, Home CES 2019, ring. Ring, door, ring debuts new door <laughs> video cam. HomeKit still not, still not yeah. present. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I'm going to put a link to this. There's a, they've got a blog post, June 16th, 2016. It's still up there. <laughs> anyway, but on yeah, the other hand, I keep giving them my money. I just bought the uh, security system, too. Because the hardware is lovely. It is. Yeah. So yeah, conflicted. That's definitely the word of the day here. Right, right. Um, Nine to Five Mac then got a little bit busy doing some investigations of their own. um, And they unfortunately found that the popular parcel tracking app, Parcels, track your packages. Now, notice it's plural. There's another app that's even more popular called Parcel. That's not plural. And that's not the app being talked about here. So if you use Parcel, this is not about your app. If you use Parcels, this is about you. Um, What 9to5Mac discovered was that the app 
effectively behaves like a botnet. Oh, jeez. Every copy of the app basically asks every other copy of the app to look up stuff on behalf of other customers because that way they don't have to run centralized servers and don't have to pay for API access because a lot of geolocation stuff is rate limited unless you buy a license. So an example of this is in Ireland, we have a for-profit address code system. So our um, postal codes are a for-profit company and you can look up 15 an hour. So any corporation within Ireland that needs to use so-called air codes needs to buy API access. But you can go to the air code website and enter 15 searches per hour. So for regular human beings, that should be fine. But if you were to, you know, not want to pay for an API like this, Google Maps would be another example. You can use Google Maps for so many queries per hour for free, and then you have to start paying Google. So by effectively recruiting everyone's copy of the app as a worker... As a botnet, you can avoid these kind of fees and avoid having to bother running your own servers. But of course, there's a privacy implication. All of your stuff is being sent to all the other copies of the app. It's got 515 five-star reviews, Bart. Yeah, so it must be great. I mean, I'm sure it works at tracking packages. It's just how it works is really icky. Yeah. And it comes at a privacy cost. So well done, 9to5Mac, for doing their homework on this. The thing 9to5Mac say is... There is an Android version. We didn't test that because we're a Mac place. So I uh, I would by no means assume that their Android app is different. Mm. I just can't tell you it's the same. Hmm. By the way, so the real parcel has 3. 2, uh, 3,200 five-star reviews. But yeah, it's the second paranoid. one. I got very paranoid because over Christmas I bought myself a paid-for app for tracking packages Hmm. but it's not called parcels it's called packages and i was like oh phew it's not me (laughs) (laughs) but it's actually i can say really nice things about that app actually it's been oh no sorry it's called deliveries oh i've Um, heard good things about that one oh it's really nice like i just copied on my mac because this is why i love apple right so because of continuity all of my mac stuff just talks to you so on my mac i copied onto my clipboard a dhl tracking url on my phone I opened up the deliveries app and it went, oh, I've detected a DHL URL. Do you want to track the package? (laughs) Yes. What is it? It's my Apple Pencil. Oh, it tells you what it is. No, no. It asks me, name it. Oh, give it Give it a title. Ah. I just said, yeah, that's my pencil. And then I got notifications. Your pencil is three days away. Your pencil is one day away. And actually, I was out doing the shopping when the DHL van arrived and my phone bleeped and said, your package has been delivered. And two seconds later, my phone rang. I went, hey, love, your package has arrived. I like, yep, I know. <laughs> so it's it's not a free app. I think it was five euro or something. So it's probably $4.99. But I really like it. It's worked out really well for me. So great. there you go. So don't use this one that turns you into a botnet. Use that <laughs> one. So I promised you some good news to end on. Um, there was... Due to a false positive, which is easy enough to do in any sort of security scanning app, but of course that doesn't make it any less clickbaity, there were a bunch of headlines flying around saying that DuckDuckGo was using browser fingerprinting to track users. Now, browser fingerprinting is where you abuse legitimate web browser APIs for the purpose of trying to, to, to cobble together a unique fingerprint of someone's browser so that you can have an undeletable cookie and follow people around the planet. What DuckDuckGo were were doing was using the browser features for the purpose they were designed for. And some silly scanner basically assumed that the only reason anyone would ever use the web was to be malicious. And so they got flagged for 
tracking mm. people. They were never tracking people. They don't do that. That's literally the point of the company. Right, right. So if if you're put off DuckDuckGo by this reporting, don't be. It's 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 not true. It's just a false positive in a scanner. They happen all the time in all sorts of malware scanners. I hear Cloudflare is a spyware site. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> QED. Case closed. Um, stuff in suggested reading. Again, there's a lot more that I'm not going to mention, but a few of them I popped some stars next to you because they're worthy of a little more talk. Um, PSA's tips and advice. iPhone privacy. How to lock down and delete threats to your online information from iMore start of the year why not have a little read through and just make sure you've done all the sensible things mm. recommended by iMore um, Brian Krebs gave us a worked example of why you shouldn't buy unbelievably cheap couldn't possibly be true cheap Microsoft subscriptions on eBay Uh oh! he gives you the three red flags and I love his title dirt cheap legit Windows software pick two <laughs> If it's too good to be true, it is, is really what it boils down to. But if you want to understand why and what danger you're in when you do that kind of thing, the Brian Krebs article is a good read. It's a it's an actual example from someone who actually bought some of this stuff. And he highlights the red flags that should have stopped this person from actually buying this stuff. And he points out why this is dangerous. So it's, it's, a, it's a good read. And it usually is from Brian Krebs. Yeah, I would like to read that. Um, the reason I got excited about that was I was really angry. I, I hate paying my annual subscription to Office 365 because we don't need it. I pay my monthly, so it feels less bad, but it's no different. <laughs> well, it's just smaller. But I'll, I'll tell do you, so you pay for it for home? No, no. Okay. Well, we use it as a family, but we pretend to be a corporation or rather we use our corporate product. <laughs> Call it a family business, I guess. Okay. Um, so we use our corporate product as a family. So, um, uh, right. Well, anyway, I don't yeah. like paying $99 a year for something I'm not using. If I was using it all the time, that'd be one thing. But I use Excel mm-hmm. like twice a year now. And Steve still likes it. So, okay, whatever, fine. We'll go ahead and do it. But just it just irks me because I know there's no reason for us to be using Excel. We could do everything in other tools. So um, anyway, I was I was grousing about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to wait until Steve notices that it's gone. And then when he wants it, I'll start paying again because then those months will be free. And I, I whined about it on Facebook and a couple of people said, well, don't pay $99. Go to Amazon, buy it cheaper. I was like, what? I went out and looked and it's $59 on, on Amazon. I was like, wait, that that's too good to be true, right? Was my first thought. But it isn't. It is true. You can go get, oh, I know what really, really made me mad was the renewal notice I got said 79, but it took me to the website where it was 99. And I thought, okay, it must be a mistake. So I logged in separately, you know, got my into my own account, completely separate way. And sure enough, it was 99, even though they said it would be 79. So then when I got it for 59, I felt like I was stealing from them and I paid it. Yeah. In this case, they were talking like 599. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I seen this example, 397. Yeah, it's probably not true. Yep, like the 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 sixty dollars that sounds plausible if good value. Yeah. Whereas a few, you know, literally a handful of dollars, no, that's, that's <laughs> not that cannot be legit and isn't in fact right, legit. Right. Um, some of the ones I didn't quite pop a star next to had to share photos without using Facebook. That's kind of an interesting one if people are trying to quit Facebook, oh, but you yeah. still want to share photos. Yeah, well, I'd like that's to probably see worth that. reading. People often ask me if I just want to do a shared album from an event or something like that, what's the best way to do it? I usually say Google Photos, actually. 
At the moment, I'm making heavy use, but this is not advice for everyone. This is only advice for people who have it. But if you're use, if you're paying Amazon for their um, Creative Cloud, the sharing out of the new cloud not version Amazon. of not Amazon, not Amazon, the other one with an Adobe, a, uh, Adobe. Um, if you're paying Adobe for their Creative Cloud, the Lightroom in the cloud has a really nice sharing function. But, but again, that's only can, if you're other people can't contribute to it, right? No, no, that okay. will be for you to share with others, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, but as I say, it's a nice little collection of your different options there from Naked Security. So, By the way, uh, Apple Photos, Apple Photos, you can create a shared album that people on Android can see and, and Windows can see from a web interface. Did you know that? It doesn't surprise me because Apple have been trying to get more and more of their iCloud stuff into, you know, the cloudy thing called the internet. <laughs> I keep on surprising people saying, no, no, seriously, trust me, go to iCloud.com and log in. And they're like, oh, my God, there's all these icons here. And I have a web-based word processor and stuff. It's like, yes, yes, you do. And I my notes are here. Too. And my calendar's here. And my email is here. And my contacts are here. Like, yep. <laughs> and I can get this from any computer. Yep. Anyway, yeah, the iCloud is better than it used to be. <laughs> Low bar. Let's carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Notable breaches and privacy violations. Um, at the moment... Oh, let's one just of the... skip this part. We were all happy. Well, I did. Uh, no, <laughs> no it, it, we have we have palate cleansers, so it's okay. Okay. Uh, at the moment, a website that is getting an awful lot of gushing praise in the financial press is DX Exchange. And unfortunately, some uh, security researchers had a wee look. and. The Ars Technica article is deeply depressing reading. This is a security mm. train wreck. So, you know, yeah, it may be really cool from a financial point of view, DX Exchange, but be darn, darn careful. Wait, uh, trading what? Uh, I don't understand. Trading? Stock trading, you mean? But it's not ordinary stock trading. It's stock trading without fees because they've digitized the stock. I don't even understand what that means. I, I am not qualified to tell you what it means. It's some sort of whiz kid financial thing. It sounds uh, to me every bit as much of a of a fad as Bitcoin. But okay. Anyway, it's the hot new hotness. <laughs> and I don't understand and I don't even I couldn't be bothered. Um LA are suing the Weather Channel because apparently what they were calling is an an advertising agency with some weather tacked on is how they're describing it, which is interesting. And uh, a whole bunch of German politicians got horribly doxxed. Yeah, lots of other depressing news there. Um, Skipping on to the main news. uh, Unfortunately, there's one here I popped the star next to that I think we probably should mention. Security firm Trend Micro um, found 85 apps in the Google Play Store that together had been downloaded more than 9 million times, and they contained adware. So Google are still having issues there. Uh, Opinion and analysis, then. We have some fun stuff I put a star next to. Um, How Apple's T2 security chip affects your disk storage. Um, This is a nice... Short summary from the Mac Observer about what's actually going on in terms of disk encryption and the T2 chip. So if you have one of the new Macs with the T2 chip, this is worth a quick read. And it is a quick read. And it's straightforward. You know, Dave Hamilton uh, brought up, uh, he just got the new MacBook Air. And Mm -hmm. he brought up something interesting. If you have a Mac with the T2 chip, by default, you cannot boot that from external an external drive. So if you create... What's that? 
it excuse me it has secure boot so yes. it's only something yeah but but think about it if you create a a a clone with carbon copy cloner or, or super duper so that you can recover from something bad happening you cannot boot from it unless you turn that feature off so but you can turn that off later by going well you hold you hold down command or what it boots and you change the boot preference oh and i wish people would stop saying command r dave hamilton said option that too r. it's command option r so he said it on the podcast he said command r and i tried eight times to get that to work before he said damn it and i looked it I up i think the article says command r because where else would i have licked it up okay so anyway it's command option r and uh uh because i he said um, that he, you know, anybody who's got Touch ID, and I was pretty sure there were Touch ID machines without the T2 chip like mine, and, and I, I'm, I'm correct. I don't have that as an option. But how can you do that if you've had, well, I suppose you could have a, can you have your hard drive fail and still get to recovery partition? I don't where think so, that? because where is the recovery partitions on the disk, isn't it? I think so. Isn't so you can't fix it after a problem with your disk. You have to turn that off beforehand. And it's not it's not all of secure uh-huh. boot that you turn off. It's um Okay, but you would okay, but you'd send the machine into Apple, you have your clone backup safe, the machine gets repaired, it comes back to you with a new hard disk and a new recovery partition, you then disable secure boot and then clone your clone. No, I'm right? saying the I'm at home has to go to and Apple my, to be fixed. I'm at home, my drive has failed and I need to get something done before I send it in. I want to be able to boot okay, from that the, the Before you can't, but you can still recover your backup just after your machine is fixed. Right, right. Yeah, it says command or at boot. So you might leave an, you might want to leave a comment on that Mac Observer article that they're spreading the, the, the half-truths. Yeah, you know, I, 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 will, I will triple check it, but I tried many times before I went and looked it up. And, uh, and I meant to mention it to Dave, but I was like, oh, I was already nagging him about the T2 chip thing. So I decided not to. Well, so that's what it says in the article at the moment, okay. cmd-or. Okay. Anyway, it's it's a good article. I learned things because I didn't know. I, it, it has a nice screenshot of that security screen I can never get because none of my Macs have a T2 chip. So yeah, it's nice to see what it looks like. Um, An interesting article from Wired, who do very good articles, so they shouldn't be surprised. But uh, they, get, they, rev- they sort of pull back the curtains a bit on the uh, elite team within Intel that are working hard to fight Spectre and Meltdown. And they're expecting to be at this for years, which is kind of what I what have been saying all along, that this is not a short-term fix. It's just an interesting insight into just how much work Intel are doing to deal with this fundamental problem. The foundations of their whole building are crumbling underneath them. It's like that pyrite stuff that makes houses fall down from the bottom up. Mm. They are having to redo everything, and it's just an interesting look into that team within Intel. Um I thought it was a fun read, so I figured I'd link to it. Fun read in a depressing world? (laughs) No, no, because I'm taking it very much as the glass is is two-thirds full here. Intel are working, like, Intel have put in short-term fixes to get us over the hump, but they've had performance hits, but now Intel are working really hard on real fixes. So I'm not seeing this as a bad thing. I'm seeing this as a very good thing. Oh, okay. Okay, good. They're having to re-architect and reinvent the CPU, but that's fine. It was due one anyway. Okay. Hey, um, bef- bef- before we go too much further, the mm-hmm. the whole thing about booting from the external drive, that's not part of secure boot. That's a separate piece called external boot. So you can still have full security oh, okay. on secure boot, but allow external boot. 
Okay, external boot couldn't be secured, I guess is why I'm saying they're related. But yes, they are separate options, you're right. So yeah. in the screen, they are completely separate. Yeah. Um, philosophically, they're not, of course, because the reason you don't allow external boot is because that would be a way to bypass your secure boot. Okay. Right, if you basically, if you... Yeah, it, it like... Yes. Anyway, yeah, it's yeah. If you want if you want your machine to be fully secured, then you would keep external boot off and secure boot on. Now and then a- you would have to be sure you have good backups because but you know, cuz your your response would be restore your backup. Which is I think is the way you should be computing anyway. You should be which is why my phones are set to wipe themselves on 10 fails. I have a backup. Right. If my device is stolen, Destroy your data. I'll, I'll restore my new phone for my backup. Hey, I'm wrong. Command oh. R is supposed to boot up from the macOS recovery system. Command Option R is to start up from macOS recovery over the internet. My uh, my so Mac a, will it, not boot from Command R though. I mean, I I am not joking. Oh. I tried it three or four times. I wonder did somehow when you were nuking and paving or something did somehow that partition get destroyed? No, no, you don't have. Well, it's there. I did command option R, and I was able to go into utilities and see all that. Right, but you booted from the internet. You did a network boot across the internet. Might be if why you that can't took do a so command. Oh. It, yeah, I imagine if you didn't have as good of internet as you have. Hmm. I should look into this. So if you can't do a regular command door, that would imply to me that your disk is missing that partition. I wonder if you go into disk utility. I would just wonder if some if at some point during a new can pave or something. Too much didn't get nuked. <laughs> I get rid of it all. Hmm. Yeah, it's not difficult to do. Yeah. Because um, huh. it is a partition, right? Right, right. Anyway, it's an this, unencrypted partition, in fact. Anyway, yeah. This so is a the, the last story. Yeah. problems show. <laughs> well, no, that's good to have that clarification. Yeah. It's, I'd forgotten that you can boot across the internet, which is a great fallback, right? So maybe that would. Uh... And that would work, even if your hard drive was completely and utterly. Banjoed. Actually, now that makes me wonder whether I actually did a good... The reason I did all this was to see whether I really had that security option that Dave was talking about, and I didn't on the internet one. Hmm. Hmm. I, anyway. I don't know is the answer to that. To keep um, checking that. All right. I have one last story starred because it's a very interesting piece of research. Um... So researchers from the Foundation for Research and Technology in Greece and the University of Illinois published a journal paper detailing just how much information they were able to pull out of the metadata from Twitter from people's accounts who do not voluntarily post sensitive information. So these are people who are very sensible and don't tweet like, hey, I'm, you know, I live at such and such a place and here's my address. There are people who don't do that kind of thing, but the metadata that's in the Twitter feed, if you have it over a long enough period of time, you can actually still suck out a scary amount of information. Hmm. And so they're basically proving the fact that metadata in total equals an awful lot of information, which is something that you or I probably probably already know from doing security bits for all this time. Like, metadata is not okay. Like, if someone says, oh, yeah, no, we're only scraping the metadata, you should still be scared because metadata adds up to real information over time. Anyway, what I love about it is the title they gave their paper. This is for an academic journal. Please forget where I was last summer. The privacy risks of public location metadata. <laughs> nice. So I have two palate cleansers for you. Um, One to listen to and one to play with with your kids. So 
I adore the Planet Money podcast, and I think Dorothy does two in the Nacilla Castaways. At least myself and Dorothy do. And I'm sure there's Steve and I listen do. now. Oh, yay! Excellent. So I'm preaching to the choir now. So Planet Money is not about economics. It's about anything on planet Earth that involves money, which is almost everything on planet Earth. <laughs> Hence Planet um, Money. Yep. Episode 886, though, intersects with this segment extremely well. It's called The Price of a Hack. Hmm. It is about the incentives that insurance companies place on corporations to up their game when it comes to providing security training to staff. In other words, insurance companies are making it financially rewarding for companies to train the squishy organic bit that's the most dangerous part of the whole process. By basically saying, okay, you've just been fished. We've had to pay out some stuff because of that. Therefore, your premium is now going up by a factor of 10. And your deductible has just been tripled. Have a nice day. Or implement some security training and prove to us it works. Well, you know what way the incentive is going there... You know, some training is an awful lot cheaper than triple the deductible and 10 times the insurance premium. So it is now financially sensible to give basic training. And what's interesting is they follow a test. So they basically, they paid a researcher with the consent of the company to try fish the company and oh. see how they got on. Oh. I will not spoil it because <laughs> the ending is not what you expect. But it is, it's a short episode because they're all short, which is what I love about Planet Money. They're consumable. It's, it's very interesting. And I would never have thought that the insurance industry would be a driver for good in security. <laughs> well. But they are. It, it, like, like you say, it makes sense, right? Because they're in it for the money. They're in it for the money. And financially speaking, getting people not to get hacked saves the insurance company money. Yeah. Yeah. And it saves you and my data. So I'm game. <laughs> and then finally, there is a programming language aimed at teaching kids to program. It's very visual. It's very graphical. You're animating things. You're moving things around. It's called Scratch. Oh, yeah. From it's free MIT. and open source. I do believe so, actually, yes. It's free and open source, which is always good. And uh, version three has just been released. Ooh. You know, I was so, running, I was playing around in Scratch on my Raspberry Pi the other day. Oh, yay. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Scratch three Ed is, is smiling so, right now because he's the one who gave it to me. Scratch three. So anyone who has kids and, you you know, kids who are budding nerds, budding Nacilla castaways, here's a really fun tool that they will have lots of fun with. My great niece, Sayla, took a coding class um, and she loved it. She took it in summer school and she's in second grade. And so she took the second one and she really, really liked it. And then the, the third class is programming and they told her she can't take it till she's in seventh grade. And apparently the difference between coding and programming is programming is actually typing out commands where coding can be something like Scratch where you're dragging and dropping things and not writing the commands. And they somehow don't think she's going to be capable of that till seventh grade. Okay, if translate to us far enough. Oh, sorry. Seventh grade, seventh grade would be 12 years old. Oh, and for she's God's seven sake. right now. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, the, the good news is they had other courses available to her. She's taking a uh, an electronic circuitry course. There you go. That's way harder than programming, but also <laughs> much, 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 much fun. Yeah. So, anyway, she was showing off what she knows how to do in Scratch. So, there was, uh, she's my peeps. She's our peeps. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, this wasn't the most terrifying episode of all time. No, it's never going to be all good news, Alison. I'm sorry to disappoint you. If you're waiting for a security bits where there's not a single piece of bad news, you will be waiting an awfully long time. Or till April but 1st. I could just do that for fun, actually, couldn't I? April 1st. It's all fixed, Alison. Done. We're finished. I'm good. Segment nope. over. Sorry, Nothing. you'll need to find new content. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. <laughs> all right. Yes, we are. But anyway, the important thing is the the, the, the the good old advice is still the correct advice. Until next time, stay patched and stay secure. Wait, this just in. After Bart and I recorded, Alistair Jenks sent us an article telling us that many U.S. government website certificates are not being renewed due to the shutdown. So that's a bad thing. Now, the question is, what does it actually mean to us? Well, it means that you can't trust these sites as you could be spoofed by a man-in-the-middle attack. If you don't enter any information into a website, you know, maybe you're okay to read, but definitely do not enter any information into a site without a valid certificate ever, 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 but definitely not on a government site. But it turns out there's another rub to this. Some government sites have opted into something called HSTS, which stands for Hypertext Strict Transport Security. When a site has enabled HSTS, it simply will not load if the certificate has not been updated. Evidently, there's a uh, timeout time on it, but usually people set it for years. So you won't be able to get to these sites until the government shutdown ends and people are allowed to get back to work. Well, that's the end of the addendum, and that's going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions. You can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, Everything good starts with podfeed.com. You want to become a patron like George did? Podfeed.com slash Patreon. You want to join our Facebook group and chat up with your friends? Podfeed.com slash Facebook. You want to join our Slack community because you don't like Facebook or you want to try something new? We're having a lot of fun over in podfeed.com slash Slack. And if you want to join in the live chat room, podfeed.com slash chat. And if you want to get those Amazon affiliate links, podfeed.com slash Amazon. If you want to join in the fun of the live show, where do you think you go? You head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nasilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.